Welcome to the PTA Elevation Podcast. Today's episode has been sponsored by the PTA Elevation Board Prep Program. If you feel lost and overwhelmed with your studying and need some extra guidance to help prepare for the exam, fill out the link in the description below to book a free call to learn more about the program. The program offers all the tools you'll need from pre-recorded videos to group and individualized coaching to help ease your anxiety when it comes to the exam. Thank you for your continued support. Now on to the show. What's up, future PTAs? It's that time of the year again. For those of you taking the NPT in October 2022, listen up because we are having our last minute review session on Sunday, September 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We recap everything. We make it super, super ready for exam day. It's going to be great. So check that out in the show notes down below. The link to register is located there. Thank you for your continued support. Now on to the show. Guys, let's go over cystic fibrosis today. Remember, cystic fibrosis is one of those pathologies that is affecting not just the lungs. A lot of times we think it's just the lungs, a bunch of fibrotic stuff going on, mucus forming, whatnot. Um, it affects every single exocrine gland in the body. Remember our digestive tract because it starts here in the mouth. Exocrine is exposed to the environment. It goes all the way through our body. It's one giant tube. That means our gastrointestinal system is also affected because our pancreatic and biliary glands, those are all excrement glands and our skin. So sweat glands are affected as well. So keep that in mind when we're going through this when it comes to cystic fibrosis. Um, I'm going to abbreviate it CF for the rest of this uh, presentation. So anatomy, as I said before, remember it's all exocrine glands in the body. Exocrine meaning it's excreting to the outside of the body. Endocrine would be our hormones secreting into our own blood system. Um, and so that's why we see it sweat glands. So on top, pancreatic and biliary ducts because they're emptying out into the duodenum, which is technically an exocrine gland. Our genitourinary system, because remember that's dumping out into the outside world. And then most importantly, we would talk about our mucus secreting glands within the lungs, the ones that release surfactant and all of that stuff. These are the ones that we want to pay attention to the most when it comes to this, because if our lungs don't work, then the rest of our body isn't really working either. And that's why we notice this the most because it's affecting the lungs and then that causes us problems with breathing. So the interesting thing about cystic fibrosis is we think it's just mucus, but really what it is, is it's an elevated level of sodium chloride. And this is because the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator protein, abbreviated CFTR, talk about that five times fast. So cystic fibrosis, that's what we're talking about when it comes to this disease, transmembrane across the membrane conductance regulator. So how are we conducting things across the membrane with this protein? Well, what are the, what is the thing we're conducting across the membrane? It is chloride. So what this little protein does is CFTR protein, which is just a little protein that causes a lot of problems when it doesn't work. It's responsible for allowing chloride to pass through the plasma membrane of the epithelial cells. So remember, plasma membrane, that's our gatekeeper when it comes to um, allowing things in and out of the cell. We need chloride to pass through into the cell so that we can do functions. If it's not, then it's staying outside the cell. And so that's causing an increase in over secretion of sodium and chloride in the body whatnot. And that's why we have that characteristic salty skin kind of taste that we would notice with these people. And if we're asking why we're licking people, it's because parents start kissing their babies and they're like, this is salty. That's weird. Um, so as I was kind of saying before, this is an abnormality, mutation, misregulation, whatever word the boards wants to use when it comes to this gene, it's essentially the CFTR gene is becoming defective and it's located on chromosome seven. So 
here's the thing. It's inherited through autosomal recessive inheritance. So remember, that's super important, autosomal recessive. Just on chromosome seven, remember that's not one of our sex chromosomes. So that means it's autosomal and it's recessive, which means if you have a copy of this gene and it's defective, but you have a good copy that's not defective, that good copy is gonna overshadow the defective one. So what you would need is two copies of this defective gene on chromosome seven in order to present it. That's why this is more rare. We don't see it more often because you would need two, both parents to be carriers in order to have a child who has cystic fibrosis. So that's kind of the inheritance pattern of this. It's very important to know the board's gonna quiz you on it because there's a couple other diseases that are inherited in different ways. For example, Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a sex link, so X-linked um, recessive disease. Huntington's disease is an autosomal dominant disease. So it's important we kind of know the difference which one's which because the boards might just straight up quiz you on that. Be like, hey, what's the pattern of inheritance? They might be rude like that, um, but it's a fair question because we got to know this. So what is happening when this gene is defective? Remember, this gene is responsible for allowing chloride to pass into the cell. So if chloride's not passing into the cell, that means it's staying on the outside and that's causing excessive excretions of salty mucus through the epithelial cells. So because the salt is still hanging out on the outside, it's gonna increase the viscosity of these mucous membranes that are lining the epithelial tissue. So that's why we got chloride, sodium chloride, causing lots of problems hanging out on the outside of the cell. It's making it super, super, super thick mucusy on the outside of the cell. And remember, these are the epithelial cells. And this is important to note because the epithelial cells are the ones that are protecting the body from the outside. And those epithelial cells are the ones that will also be exocrine glands. So that's why we see problems when it comes to um, cystic fibrosis in the exocrine glands. So hope I didn't lose anybody there. The, more, the important things to know before we go to the next slide is chromosome seven, autosomal recessive, and it's causing oversecretion of mucus in exocrine glands. So what does it look like? As I, I've been saying before, biggest keyword, and I would say I'll just harp this as long as possible, overproduction of mucus. And so this mucus by itself isn't a problem. It's when it starts to obstruct things. So what are things we don't want obstructed? Our lungs, our bronchial tubes, our linings, everything in the lungs, because then we can't breathe. We can't breathe. We can't get oxygen to the rest of our body and then we die. So that is why we see that the lungs cause the most problems. When we think cystic fibrosis, we think lungs, even though it's all these other glands affected. So don't forget that it's a bunch of other glands too. The pancreas. So remember, we got your pancreatic enzymes that are um, being secreted through exocrine glands. That also is going to cause problems as well. And then we have the sweat glands of our skin, because remember, that's one of our main, like, um, exocrine glands is everything on our skin. Our skin is our biggest organ. So there's a lot of exocrine glands located there. So patient will taste salty. And I don't mean like lick your patient. Um, <laughs> I hope someone laughed at that. So don't lick your patient. Um, essentially the sweat test will be used at birth to determine if there's excess levels of sodium chloride being excreted. So what does that mean? They take like a little swab and then they test how much sodium chloride is on the swab. And then based on those levels, they'll be like, this is really excessive. We think the kid might have cystic fibrosis. Um, if they don't notice this right immediately after birth, a lot of times they'll do a blood test too, and then they'll be able to test it. But like this sweat test is the thing that the boards like cares about. They want to see that the patient's sweaty. That's, that's sweaty and salty. So that's kind of what they want to test when it comes to the boards. But parents might notice this later on. They bring their kid back from the hospital and everything. They're hanging out at home and everything. They're kissing on their baby because they're just so excited to see them. Don't kiss other people's babies, but they're kissing their own baby. And they're like, man, this tastes, this almost tastes salty. 
And that is where people started to notice the correlation between the salty skin and then this problem with cystic fibrosis. So that's why the salt sweat test is like super important to understand. Um, the other important thing to understand when working with these patients who have cystic fibrosis, we have to understand that this is a terminal diagnosis, which means not that the patient's going to die in like two days or something like that. It means that this disease is going to be the reason why somebody passes away. And so that is why we would see the boards might quiz you on this, that there is a life expectancy of about 35 years with individuals who have cystic fibrosis. Now that used to be, I'm thinking like when I was a kid, uh, we had a like friend whose like cousin has cystic fibrosis and they died at like 16. So like the technology that they have now is like so much better. And it used to be the life expectancy that farmer back then said it was 25 years. Now it's all the way up to 35 years. So that's great. That technology is advancing to the point where these individuals are living longer, healthier lives. Um, and we also kind of have to know the boards might quiz you on this is that males have a better prognosis than females, which I have with many of the influencers and people that I've seen in the world who have had cystic fibrosis. I see that the female individuals that I've uh, interacted with or seen are passing away a lot sooner than the male individuals that I've seen. So I've se I know that there's this guy on, on TikTok, his name is like CF Warrior. I hope when you listen to this, he's not, hasn't passed away, but he's like 40 something and he's still going he's still going, he's killing it. So um, yeah, kind of interesting to see. So uh, other things that we would see, so other systems that are included and other um, symptoms that we would see with this person would be, uh, the big thing is this thick sputum production, um, the wheezing, the persistent cough, all of these like signs of like pulmonary distress, we would see that happening. Um, this person's in GI distress as well due to the fact that remember all those are exocrine glands as well. This, this person has a really hard time gaining weight. I don't know if you've ever seen any videos of anybody who has cystic fibrosis or know anybody. They're all very skinny. Um, and that's just because they had the problems with their digestive tract. It's not absorbing food properly because all that mucus is in the way. Remember that the little villi everywhere, the microvilli that are absorbing food, um, those are all covered with like thick mucus and they can't absorb food. So that's where the problem is with that. Um, so we'll see that these individuals have a lot of trouble like gaining weight. Um, and they'll have frequent infections and UTIs. And this is just because all the gunk is getting stuck in there and it can't get out. So that's what we're seeing when it comes to their frequent infections. They can't clear all of that gunk out. So they're getting infections. We're going to see that they have hypoxemia. So that means that there is going to be a um, low level of oxygen in their blood. So this is somebody that you definitely want to, um, if you are able to check their pulse ox before exercise, it's important. And then also that they'll have hypercapnia. So hyper being high levels of capnia. Capnia is indicative of high levels of carbon dioxide. So that's what we would see with this individual. Again, with many of our pulmonary distress disorders, we're going to see this thing called a barrel chest. That's where the chest is getting really, really wide. Um, and that's due to the fact that they have to use um, the muscles of inspiration and stuff like that. Uh, the accessory muscles, like lifting their chest to really try to get as much air in as possible. And those muscles actually get bigger and stronger. And that's why it looks like that because they're contracting those way more than you and I would. Um, and that's because they literally can't breathe and they have to. Remember our main muscle of inspiration, it's going to be our diaphragm and then um, our external intercostals will help lift our ribs away. That will help breathe in. Remember external for inspiration, internal for expiration. It's kind of the opposite when it comes to the intercostals.
So how are we treating this? Remember that this patient will primarily have their care managed by a pulmonologist. So that is a doctor that specializes in lungs. And so um, we're referring to the doctor for pretty much everything that we're doing with this patient because they're in charge of medications, all the fun stuff, um, medical equipment, all that stuff. Um, the most important thing that we need to know is because this is diagnosed at birth, remember, um, like most of the time they can get it at birth, we need to make sure that everybody's on all hands on deck. So same thing, anything that's a ch uh, child is involved, it is family-centered care. That means that we are making sure that the patient and caregivers are all educated on what the heck's going on. Um, so when the patient is old enough to kind of understand things, like when they're like two or three, when they can start kind of like speaking and stuff like that, from that point on, the kid needs to be explained to at their level that they can understand what's going on with their body and what needs to be done to make sure that they're staying as healthy as possible. And so you just keep that age appropriate. And then you got to explain to the parents like, yo, you got to be on top of this chest PT stuff, making sure that we're doing partial drainage because this is like absolutely crucial to making sure this kiddo is okay. So, um, Patient caregiver education is super, 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 super important with CF, and that will also help increase their life expectancy as long as everyone's all hands on deck, helping out this kid, helping out their friend, whoever it is that they're, we're helping with, that is key. The next thing that we're going to see is that we want to do chest PT on this patient. That's going to include postural drainage, airway clearance techniques, the percussion, the vibration, any sort of, um, you know, just getting the gunk out. You could use a mechanical a percussor, which literally looks like, have you seen like a Theragun or like, like, like the little like Theragun thing that they use on like, like gimmicky kind of things on, um, I don't want to say gimmicky because we have one, it helps. Um, but it's like, you know, those muscle, like, it looks like it just says like on you kind of thing. That's what it is. And then this chest wall oscillator. So what that is going to be is that is going to be, um, they put it on, like I have the picture here, they put it on and it kind of shakes them. So they're like, kind of thing. Um, and that's to help break out all the mucus. So then it makes it easier for them to cough up all of that thick, like sputum. Um, we want to do breathing exercises and coughing techniques because we want to make sure we get all the gunk out from this patient to make sure that they're able to breathe appropriately. And remember all of these airway clearance techniques should be done multiple times per day. Um, positive expiratory pressure, so that's a PEP. Um, or a flutter valve. These are all other devices. I don't have pictures here. Um, it's more just kind of understanding that these words should be associated with cystic fibrosis. This is to just help with more airway clearance techniques um, and to help get more air into the lungs to make sure that the patient's able to breathe. Again, for like just generic musculoskeletal impairment fixing kind of thing that we would see, um, we want to make sure we're doing stretching and strengthening to help decrease any of these like high like a thoracic kyphosis that we might see sometimes just based on positioning, they start developing some sort of um, functional scoliosis kind of thing. And so we just want to make sure that we're uh, trying to just keep them stretched out, decrease these impairments as much as possible. So those are some of the things that we can just do in general, you know, just general thoracic stretching and strengthening and stuff like that. And then keeping them on a, like a general, you would see like general medical program, just keeping them up to date with moving around and doing the thing. Um, so then they can keep staying as functional as possible for as long as possible. Remember, we keep people as functional as possible for as long as possible. Keywords with this uh, specific pathology, the sweat test, that's a big one. Sweat test is exclusively associated with cystic fibrosis. Chromosome seven is the chromosome that we would find this on. So it's an autosomal recessive inheritance located on chromosome seven. There we go. It's an overproduction of mucus. That's 
pretty much a big one in all of the exocrine glands. So exocrine gland dysfunctions. Understand that interventions we would use for this would be postural drainage or any sort of airway clearance techniques to help this patient breathe again. Um, understanding that it's also an overproductive with the sodium and chloride. So we kind of understand that's why they get sweaty and salty, salty sweat. Um, and that's why we would see that. And then the life expectancy with individuals is about 35 years and males have a better prognosis than females. And so that's something the boards might quiz you on that you wanna make sure you're aware of. So let's get to the sample question. So sample question, everybody. A physical therapist assistant is treating a two-year-old child diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. What is the most important intervention that will assist in the survival of this child to adulthood? One, chest physical therapy three times per week. Two, patient and caregiver education on pathology and treatment. Three, coughing techniques to assist with airway clearance. Or four, application of a mechanical percussor. So I'll give you guys a second to think about that one. guys so the answer is patient and caregiver education on pathology and treatment so the question is asking what's the most important intervention that will assist the survival of this child into adulthood so we're not talking about a short-term fix when it comes to this question we're talking about what is a long-term fix or long-term solution to this problem and that is making sure that parents are on board they know what's going on the kid to the best of their ability is educated on what's going on with themselves. So they like say mommy, daddy, or like mommy, 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 dad. like whoever is in charge of him or her or them, whatever is like, Hey, help kind of thing. And they know when to say like, like it could go be like, mommy, I can't breathe. And then can you tap my back? Like then they can like express that stuff. So then they're understanding their own pathology. They have some autonomy over the situation um, and they're more in control. So making sure everybody's kind of aware of what's going on and the best solutions for this child. That's how we keep this child alive into adulthood. This is vital and absolutely crucial to the survival of this child to make sure everyone's aware of what's going on. Now let's go through the other answers and I'll tell you why they're wrong, why they're kind of right and also kind of wrong. Number one says chest physical therapy three times per week. Chest physical therapy should be done multiple times a day. Three times a week is not enough. This isn't a knee replacement. We got to do this multiple times a day. So that one's incorrect. Three, coughing techniques to assist in airway clearance. That's great. We want to do this. But the important thing to assist the child to surviving all the way to adulthood is making sure everyone's educated on board because the survival into adulthood is that part of the question that solidifies why that number two, the patient caregiver education is most important. And then same kind of thing as applying with number four, application of mechanical percussor. That's a great thing to have, but making sure everyone's aware of how to do all of the percussion stuff because you're going to teach the parents how to do the chest PT on their child. That is a thing that's going to get them to survive the longest, have the best possible outcome and live the highest quality of life. I hope that this was helpful, guys, in explaining cystic fibrosis, and I will see y'all in the next video. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the PTA Elevation Podcast. We look forward to continually serving you as you embark on your journey towards becoming a licensed physical therapist assistant. We thank you for your continued support and we'll see you in the next episode.